Welcome to the CBIA BizCast. I'm your host, Ali Warshavsky. And today on our podcast, we're speaking with Paul Lameau, president of Sikorsky and the last keynote speaker at our 2021 Made in Connecticut Manufacturing Summit. At that summit, Paul said Sikorsky is transforming the face of manufacturing in Connecticut. So we wanted to have him on to hear exactly how. Paul, welcome to the BizCast. Ali, thanks. I appreciate you having me on. Well, it was so fascinating to listen to all the things that are happening at Sikorsky and the plans in just a short amount of time that you have. Um, you know, five years ago, Sikorsky committed to increasing its Connecticut workforce to 8,000 by 2032, so in 10 years, and double its spending within in-state suppliers to $750 million and increase capital spending by 22%. So those are some lofty goals. How are you going to do that? Yeah, well, I can tell you, really pleased to report that we're well on our way. In fact, on the employment side, we're already over 8,000 employees in Connecticut. We had about 8,100 at the end of last year, and we've exceeded the capital expenditures uh, target as well. Um, on the supply base side, we are on our way to that target. We had over $450 million spent last year with Connecticut suppliers. So I'm feeling really good about what we committed to and, and the fact that we're either already there or on our way to achieving it, you know, in the required time frame. So obviously the pandemic put a few bumps in the road for everyone, but it didn't really put a bump in the road in terms of those goals for you or did it? And um, you just are still exceeding expectations because of some good growth you have going on. Yeah. You know, we have an amazing workforce and I'm, I'm so pleased to report that we were able to deliver all the aircraft over the last two years that we committed to our customers. I will say that was not without drama and challenge. Uh, the pandemic did present some supply chain challenges. You know, we had some delays in getting parts and, and systems in from our, our partner companies, um, but we managed to work around that. And we've got a great team that's very flexible in operations and like I said, they managed to get all those deliveries out. And if you drive through Connecticut, like I do, you're taking the Wilbercross Parkway up um, or to the Merritt, you see the big Sikorsky sign, you see the facility, but I bet a lot of people don't really know what is driving your growth there, right? They probably picture a helicopter. Is there a particular helicopter that does drive your growth in Stratford? Yeah, we well, you know the, the long-time growth uh, element of Sikorsky has been the Black Hawk helicopter, which has been in production for, you know, nearly four decades. Uh, that has been, you know, really steady over the last few years, but the new helicopter that is ramping up in production and driving our near-term growth is the CH-53K uh, King Stallion for the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. It's a very large aircraft. Uh, you know, it's about $100 million a piece, and it can, it can move Marines and their equipment anywhere in the world. It's a revolutionary helicopter, was designed in, and is being built in an all-digital environment. So that's really the, the near-term growth driver for Sikorsky. And is this the first helicopter made using digital design and manufacturing technology? You know, it is. I mean, obviously we've been doing designs in digital environments for a little while, but, but this is really the first helicopter that we have a digital thread now from the design through the manufacturing to sustainment of the aircraft. So it's a, it's a common data thread, if you will, that, that goes all the way through that. And that really helps us to build the aircraft more efficiently and more affordably for our customers. And, and quite frankly, we're going to be able to sustain it 
more efficiently and more affordably for our customers. And I know back in um, November, October, November, October, I think when we had this conference, um, you mentioned digital transformation. How, or Sikorsky, I should say, how important has this digital transformation been? And you just kind of touched on it, but does it help with the labor shortage or supply chain issues to be relying more on technology? You know, I would say that it does um, be, because it, it boosts our efficiency and effectivity. Um, you know, we, we can we don't need maybe quite as many employees, uh, but also the, the skill sets are, are higher that we're looking for because the jobs are more integrated, they're more complex. And so, you know, we have a wealth of talent in Connecticut, fortunately, with a lot of, you know, universities up here in the Northeast and people majoring in STEM careers. Um, so we're able to attract and retain those employees. And, and I think they want to come to a place that's using the latest tools, you know, that are out there. And, um, and so that digital transformation has really helped be not only a, a, a way to recruit talent, but a way to retain them as well. Yeah, kind of redefining what a manufacturer looks like, correct? You know, it's, we've been speaking a lot about this on our podcast with manufacturers that it's not this big, dark huge room. You know, it's utilizing these new technologies that really create a sustainable career path for um, maybe a high school who's in the high school or who's in the technical program once they graduate. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you came into our factory today, it doesn't look like what you would have seen five or even 10 years ago. It's, it's, um, there's a lot more automation, but there's, a, there's no paper is the first thing that you would recognize, particularly on the CH53K production line. Employees are using, you know, iPads or computer, you know, laptop computers on a little cart that they roll around. And they're accessing the actual digital model of the aircraft to see how they should build it and really kind of interrogate the design to make it easier for them to understand how these parts come together. If you can imagine in years past looking at, you know, flat pieces of paper and trying to in, interpret a 3D uh, product on a 2D, you know, piece of paper and how something should come together. Very difficult. I'm sure we've all put together things, right, with instructions that we get and it can be difficult even with something simple. So you can imagine a complex aircraft and having access to these 3D models on the floor is really helpful. And then we've translated the model into their tools. So now they have, you know, for example, automated torque wrenches where it knows how hard to torque down the bolt just from the digital model. We don't have to worry about whether the operator knows that or makes a mistake, it's automatically set. And when they put the, the wrench on the bolt, it tightens it automatically to the proper torque. Just one example of many that you would see if you walked our production line. That's such a cool improvement. The only thing I can think of when you say a piece of paper is physically folding it into the airplane, right? To make it 3D. And that's not probably sustainable for building right. a military right. <laughs> helicopter. But um, speaking of those, you know, let's talk about Defiant X. You mentioned yeah. the Black Hawk. It has been a large part of the US military for more than 40 years. I think if you asked anyone what they picture when they think of the military, they would probably picture that Blackhawk. Now you're competing with Bell to win the contract to replace the helicopter with a better alternative, which would be the Defiant X, right? How are you feeling about your chances of winning that contract? And if you do, what does that mean for Connecticut? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident about it. 
you know, we have a partnership with Boeing on this particular program. And between Sikorsky and Boeing, we build probably 90% of the Army's helicopters. Um, so we've got, you know, decades and decades of experience between the both of us. And Sikorsky has worked on the underlying X2 technology, as we call it, that makes up Defiant X for uh, over a decade. And we've matured the technology and we believe it's the right solution for the Army. Um, it's a highly maneuverable aircraft that will go twice as fast and twice as far as a Blackhawk. So it really provides those critical improvements that the Army needs in today's environment. So, you know, obviously the decision is up to the Army, but we feel really good about our offering. And we think that it's going to be uh, very compelling for the customer. When would you find out estimate um, if you are awarded that contract? I would say uh, mid to late summer, you know, sometime in the uh, late July or August timeframe is what they're telling us right now. We're getting ready to submit our final proposal. Uh, we submitted the initial proposal last fall. They've been asking questions and, and now they've asked for a final update to the proposal that'll go in at the end of March. And then it's really in their hands to make a selection. And if they do, you know, does that bring more jobs to Sikorsky? I know when we spoke with Electric Boat, when they secure a Navy contract, obviously a ship is a little bit bigger than a helicopter, but still a massive undertaking. That's a 10-year project, like 10 years of guaranteed work. Is it similar for building that helicopter? Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's um, it'll be more than 10 years, but let's say 10 years of development and production of the initial set of aircraft, the prototypes. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, yes, we will be hiring. I mean, we've already hired a number of people because these programs, these two FEL programs actually have been going on for, you know, three or four years um, that the Army's been paying both teams to mature their designs. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've had to hire, you know, several hundred people to work on that. And we have a, a pretty large team right now. But if we win, that team will get expanded rapidly and, uh, and continue to grow. When we talk about workforce shortages and, and the fact that you guys are hiring and growing, have you had to recruit outside of Connecticut to get the right people for these jobs? You know, uh, being part of Lockheed Martin, the nice thing is we access the recruiting network mm -hmm. uh, nationwide, essentially. We have a set of key schools that we recruit from. Most of our recruiting, though, does come from Connecticut. Um, but we have access to that wider network, and we certainly have people who have come to us, you know, from outside of Connecticut. But again, we're fortunate with the schools we have, the engineering curriculums at, you know, University of Connecticut, uh, University of New Haven, et cetera. Really fortunate to be able to recruit them into Sikorsky because they generally want to stay when they're going to school locally. And veterans, you're designing these helicopters, obviously, for the Army. So I'm assuming that you guys do some work with veterans group and they might make up a significant part of your workforce. They're already familiar with your product. They do. You know, company-wide, about 20% of our workforce are veterans. We recruit heavily, you know, from the veteran uh, workforce. And, uh, and they love working for us because we connect with the mission that they're used to. They're just on the other side, right? They used to be a warfighter. Now they're building the um, equipment to support the warfighters, and they they really enjoy that and connect well. So uh, yeah, we're you know the veterans are a big part of our community. 
That's great to hear. And we had this big hiccup called COVID, um, which we discussed a little bit. And besides it causing workforce issues um, in terms of trying to get people to come back into a facility, it also, especially with this latest surge, made a lot of people sick very quickly, luckily less severe. But did you guys feel the impact of having a lot of workers call out or did you have to shift around production at all to accommodate um, the, the most recent surge of COVID? Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, you know, despite the fact that we were successful in delivering everything we needed to to customers, it was, um, you know, really difficult having to juggle things around, dealing with people on quarantine. So there's about 50% of our workforce that comes in every day um, because they have to. They're either on the production line or even if they're in the professional workforce, they may be working on classified programs, for example, which you can't really do that kind of work at home. And so, you know, particularly on the production line, we've had to take every precaution we can by providing masks, trying to social distance as best as we can, you know, given that you're on a production line, uh, encouraging workers to get vaccinated, um, providing a vaccine clinic, which we did last year and, and uh, late, we had two different clinics last year. Um, so really just trying to keep the, the safety and the health and welfare of our employees, you know, top of mind. And I think if you talk to them, and I do frequently, I've gotten good feedback about what we've done. Um, and then if somebody did get sick in the workforce, we find out, we contact trace, we you know, then quarantine those people, we clean the area with professional cleaning crews. So we've really had to do everything we can. And again, the team was very flexible. We juggled things around, but we still met all of our commitments. Well, that's great. And I believe you also mentioned in something that caught our ears was that you learn to work around the changes in terms of work-life balance and remote schooling for some of your employees who have kids. You know, what did you guys do to accommodate people who might have to do, who might have had to deal with remote learning, and also just kind of this new focus on work-life balance um, that we have today, which I love <laughs> um, to accommodate yeah. people who, especially on a manufacturing floor, that's not really thought about. It's always been kind of come to work, rain or shine, Monday through Friday, and maybe even a night shift too. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll give you a couple of examples and some are, you know, pandemic grown, if you will, meaning they're a result of the pandemic and others were things that we were contemplating already. Um, one of the, one of the things in the contemplating already was what we call a flex 410 schedule. So much of the company for a number of years had been on a what we call a 980 schedule, meaning you had every other Friday off um, or, or a Monday, because we obviously can't have everybody off on the same day. So we have sort of two opposite schedules. Um, and we, we had been looking at going to 410s and basically saying, you know, there's a group of people could, that could have every Friday off or the other group every Monday off, right? So you had a longer weekend. And so we made that decision, you know, during the uh, pandemic that it was the right time to, to move to that and give that flexibility. The other thing the pandemic taught us with, with having a lot of people that we wanted to work from home was you know, that we could enable them to do it, that we could provide the tools, let's say the electronic tools, we could provide assistance in setting up a home office um, to really you know, allow people to have that flexibility to work from home. And you know, I would tell you that we have not seen productivity drop off. We've been very successful at being able to do that. And then when it comes to the hourly employees, again, just being respectful of flexibility that they may need. I mean, obviously, 
to do their work for the most part, they're going to have to be in the facility. Okay. But we also felt like we could give some flexibility there um, to the days they were in and, and provide some support should they come down with COVID or have a family member. I think we've been very generous about, you know, paid time off, et cetera. That's great. Um, I'm sure they appreciate that, especially with this more recent surge that seems to have affected everyone. But hopefully we're on the other end and we can start just looking at the future of manufacturing. So um, from where you sit right now, where do you see the future of manufacturing in the next five years? Yeah, you know, we're going to continue down that digital transformation path to put more automation in, more tools that are connected to the digital thread. And that doesn't mean you're going to come in five years from now and there's going to be nobody but robots, you know, producing aircraft. That's probably never going to happen. But what you will see is people doing more complex tasks, more meaningful tasks. And, you know, if you talk to our hourly workforce, they like that because we're, we're taking out those repetitive tasks that perhaps could cause injury or are mundane and people just get bored of doing, quite frankly. So I think there's excitement in the workforce that we're training them, um, they're getting to upskill and, you know, and learn new things and contribute. And then how can Connecticut become a better state for manufacturers like Sikorsky and business in general? Yeah, I mean, from what I've seen in my year in this role uh, and living in Connecticut now, you know, Connecticut has done a great job at, at supporting businesses, at, you know, cultivating the educational systems and the workforce here. And, and I would just say, you know, we're looking forward to Connecticut continuing to do that, continue to invest in schools and workforce development, training, et cetera, whether it be for hourly or professional. And um, we hope to benefit from that and use Connecticut workers at Sikorsky. I know one of our 2022 policy priorities as a, you know, the organization that represents manufacturers and businesses is to push for tax credits and just more funding overall to go to those programs that um, develop those public-private partnerships and also just train um, college students and high schoolers for the workforce and that is available here in Connecticut to keep the talent. So um, thank you for helping CBIA with that mission by uh, saying that, but thank you so much for coming on our BizCast. We really appreciate it. We enjoyed having you at our summit and hopefully we'll be hearing from you again soon. Absolutely, Allie. Thanks for uh, the discussion today. Really enjoyed it. Well, thank you for listening to this week's BizCast. You can listen or subscribe to the podcast on Apple, YouTube, SoundCloud, and for more episodes, you can also visit cbia.com.